Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our series in James. Uh, Faith That Works is the title where we're going verse by verse through the book of James. If you haven't been here in a while or maybe you're unfamiliar with the book of James, the great thing about the book is it's very easy to understand. The hard thing about the book is it's very easy to understand, and he likes to step on all of our toes. He likes to do it every week. And here's what we've learned so far. We learned that James, this James, is the brother of Jesus, uh, who didn't believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry, but believed after he saw the resurrected, well, his resurrected brother, then he put his faith in him. He became a, a great leader of the early church. Uh, we've learned that Christ is calling each and every one of us towards maturity in our faith, that he is taking us somewhere. He wants to do something with us. We learn about trials. Trials are there to strengthen our faith. They, um, they, they can produce something in us that nothing else can. We also learn about temptations, that there's a real evil desire living inside each and every one of us. We've got to be aware of that desire. We've got to be aware that evil is real and it resides right here. And we've got to kind of put that to death because it wants to lead us towards death and decay. Last week, we learned how very important it is to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Remember, this is all about becoming mature. Did anybody make it past Tuesday? Okay, I made it to Tuesday morning, I think. I made it to Tuesday. Anybody beat me? Nobody else beat me, just Andrew. I don't believe that at all. Okay, so look, yeah, it's kind of difficult when you're aware, right? When you're aware that you got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. When you're aware that that's what you're supposed to do, you kind of watch yourself a little bit more, don't you? Kind of catch yourself a little bit more going, you know what? Maybe I'm getting a little too angry, a little too quick. Today, he deals with another common human problem. Let's just jump right into it. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to James chapter 2. It'll be here on the screen if you don't have it with you. He says this, James chapter 2 verse 1. He says, my brothers and sisters, that's a way of saying all of us, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And that's what it's all about today. Believers in Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And that word favoritism literally means receive the face. It means to make judgments and distinctions based on external considerations, such as physical appearance, social status, and race, or what we would call favoritism. Now, what I think is awesome is his appeal is to believers So this is for Christians, and then he says this thing. He says, those believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's an unusual way of talking about Christ. It's it's not normal, but he's pointing us to the fact that there is somebody who should get the glory. There is somebody who is glorious. Who is this person? The Lord Jesus Christ. The glory, the the honor, the the praise, the worship that we want to give people, that you want to give people. 
that desire to show favors or esteem people, that, that desire that resides in all of us, because everybody does, it is supposed to go to whom? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who should get our glory. You see, you, me, we, we are not designed for glory. We can't handle it. It turns into some disgusting things in our lives. We can't handle that kind of praise and worship and honor. It doesn't work well. We are designed to give glory. We're designed to give that to Jesus Christ. So he says, believers, you and me, we must not show favoritism. He'll explain why. That's what this whole thing's about. Verse 2 says this. He says, suppose a man comes into your meetings wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. So here's, here's the idea. So two people come into the worship, one dressed in fine clothes and clothes spoke to how wealthy somebody is or how wealthy they wanted to be, whatever that may be. So they, they dressed in a way that would speak to what people thought about them. The gold ring represents the Roman upper class. So this person is, is dressed like in a three-piece suit. He doesn't have a t-shirt on, right? He's not one of those people. He has a three-piece suit on. He wears a suit, the vest, the tie, the collared shirt. Yes, I own them, just in case you're wondering. The collared button-up shirts. He's dressed in all of that, probably a Roman government official. Because of his status, because of his fine dress, they said, hey, you come sit in the best place. But the poor person they throw in the corner. They put in the back. He said, you, you, you go over there. We're not, we're not worried about you, but you, the one who is rich, the one who has a position, the one who society esteemed, we got the great seat for you. James says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? This isn't really a question. It is a question, but it's supposed to be answered with yes. You're supposed to agree with him. He's not leaving this open debate. Well, maybe not. He's like, no, no, haven't you? You have discriminated and judged people with evil. He says you have assumed a position of a judge. In fact, an evil judge when you start discriminating against clothes, against prestige, against job titles. And this needs to slap all of us in the face and be aware of our cultural prejudices. Because it wasn't wrong in their culture to show more respect for a higher position person. It wasn't wrong. They had class system. It wasn't wrong that if this person was a government official, let us treat them better. Social status was way bigger than it is now. There wasn't this massive middle class. You were poor, which about 90% were, and then you were rich, and that you know, broke into segments. So it was normal to treat the less thans, the outcasts. It was normal for them not to get good treatment. It was okay. It was normal. Culture said it's fine. That's just how life is. And he said, that's not how it is for the Messiah's people. Just because culture says that's the way you behave, just because culture says that's the way you act, that's not okay for the Messiah's people. And of course it's implied, but let's just go ahead and say it. This means it's absolutely wrong for you and for me to want favoritism because of our wealth, because of our last name, because of our dress, because of our position, because of our title. If you've ever thought, well, don't they know who I am? You're wrong. It's a sin. He'll get to that in a second. We need to see people how God sees them. Look at verse 5. 
He said, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Hasn't God not chosen these people and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. He says, has God not elected? Has God not chosen the people who are materially poor, those people you're discriminating against, the ones you don't think are good enough? Didn't Jesus Christ die for them too? Has God not chosen them and called them and brought them into his fellowship? The people you're discriminating against could be the juggernauts of the faith, the help the church desperately needs. But yet we throw them in a corner. You're not good enough or you don't act like us. You don't look like us. You don't talk like us. You need to go over there. He says it doesn't even make sense what you're doing. Look at this, verse seven, 6 and 7. He says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into courts? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? That is Jesus. And what we have to remember is we're looking at this in America 2,000 years later. But back then, their justice system was nothing like our justice system. For instance, earlier this year, you know, many of you know, my Jeep was hit by another car, did a ton of damage to my Jeep. And the insurance company, well, they fixed a lot of things, but they didn't fix everything. And what do you do when you go to the insurance company and say, hey, I need, I need you to fix this. It, it's still not fixed. And they say, no. I said, no, but, it, but it's broke. They're like, no. And I was sitting there like, this is a multi-billion dollar corporation. How can I fight them? Well, lo and behold, the American justice system, for as little as $5, I got to take them to arbitration court. Five, and I won, by the way. $5. I beat a multi-billion dollar corporation. Five bucks. Anybody can afford five bucks. Most people can afford five bucks. Back then, in order to get in the courts, you had to bribe people. Back then, in order to get a judge to even listen to you, you had to pay the judge off. They didn't, you know, we talk about, oh, they'll have their day in court. Back then, no, you necessarily would not have a day in court. It didn't work that way. It was this very closed system. You had to pay people off so the rich had a very strong advantage over the poor, where you may not even see your day in court. And so they're showing favoritism to the same people who want to oppress them, it's, uh, oppress them. and that's probably why they're showing them favoritism. One author brings this to life. Let me read you this quote. He says, he puts it in our context. He says, is the Fortune 500 executive going to do you good? Or is he going to use you for anything he can and then spit you out? Ask his ex-wives. Ask his serial girlfriends, his business lackeys. Is it the rich or the poor who cause the business scandals, dragging firms into bankruptcy and destroying investors while building personal mansions? Is it the rich or poor who take advantage of you in court because they have deep pockets and hire lawyers and beat you back? Is it the rich or the poor who use their good old boy networks to get insider tips, government contractors, and prefer, preferral treatment and company perks? Is it the rich or poor who smile in your face and do a hatchet job to your back or show up at church for image purposes and never let it affect their lives in any way? To which we all just think about the news stories we've heard. And the scandals and corruptions we've heard, it wasn't the poor. And that doesn't mean all rich people are bad. It doesn't mean all poor people are good. But it does need to bring uh, to our mind the grim realities of life that very often rich people use people. James continues, verse 8. 
He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, here it is, you, you said, I didn't even know that was a sin. It is. So it can't be that big of a deal. It is. It's a sin. And you are convicted by law as lawbreakers. Keep going. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you have become lawbreakers. He uses some really big examples. You can go back. He uses some big examples, but let's talk about this for a second. He says, loving others as yourself means you do not show favoritism. And all of us will potentially think, well, it can't be that big of a deal. I mean, it's just a little sin. I mean, it's just, you know, they're, they're my buddies or they're rich. Or I want that job or I want that promotion. I mean, it can't be that big of a deal. Now, James is like, no, no, you don't understand how it works. If you're guilty of that sin, you've sinned. You're breaking the royal law. And the royal law is all of Christ's law, all that he teaches. Love, yourself, um, love others as yourself, but everything else together with that. He says, by doing that one thing, you're breaking all of it. You see, we think of it, well, there's a lot of different laws. If I break just one little law, then I'm not really messing all of it. Like, this is just one little sin. To which James says, no, no, no. The law, Christ's commands, comes from how many gods? One. And so it's law singular with a lot of commands. And if you break the part of it, you break all of it. The law isn't like bowling pins. We set up the bowling pins, we knock a couple, we still got a couple right. The law, the commands of Christ is like a pane of glass. If you break a portion of glass, what happens to the whole thing? Your whole thing's broken. Favoritism isn't just one little thing out there that's not a big deal. It's a big thing. It's breaking the law. It is sinning. Now, he doesn't say all sins are equal. But his point is for you and for me to realize that favoritism, discrimination... It's a sin. Even if our culture says it's okay, it's not okay. We're people of the Messiah. We're people of Jesus Christ. Regardless what the culture says, for instance, just because people don't dress like you, just because people don't look like you, just because people don't talk like you, just because they're not normal, doesn't give you the right to treat them any different. Discrimination, favoritism, is a sin. You may say, well, Brian, but, it, but it's business culture. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you're supposed to act. We're reminded that this isn't a business environment. This is the Messiah's environment. He gets to dictate the rules, doesn't he? Who dictates our gatherings, Jesus or the culture? Who should dictate it? Jesus, right. This is his gathering. So he says this. He says, so speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Speak and act as those who's going to stand before Jesus Christ. He gives a twin approach to living out the gospel. He says the law gives freedom. He'll expand on the speak and act next week quite a bit. But he says as a community of believers, we need to speak the truth. We need to live out the truth. But let's talk about this for a second, this law of freedom. It's important because he says we're going to be judged according to this law of freedom. We're going to stand before Christ one day and be held accountable for what we do. Now, this is one of those times we've got to bring the Old Testament, New Testament together to understand where we're at in the history, what all of this means. For instance, back in the Old Testament, there were 600 and some laws you had to keep, which means you had to know all 600 of them in order not to sin against the Lord. Now, in order to not 
sin or not even come close to sin. You had laws upon laws, so you didn't sin. Does that make sense? 600 and some laws, and then I create another law. So let's say one law for each. 1,200 and some laws, you got to remember to do in order not to do the wrong thing. Let me give you an illustration how, how this can end up making you feel. In the military, one of the most important things you learn is about being on time. Right? Pretty good thing to learn in the world, right? So in order to be on time, the rule was you had to be there 15 minutes early. So if you weren't, even though you had to be there at, let's say, 7, your commander said be there at 7, if you weren't there at 645, you were wrong. Well, so here's how it works. Your commander would say be there at 7. Your first sergeant said, all right, well, you got to be there at 645. Then your platoon sergeant said, hey, you got to be there at 630. Then your squad leader said, you got to be there at 615. And you know if they said to be there at 615, you really got to be there 15 minutes earlier than that. So in order to make sure everybody was on time, you wasted a whole lot of time standing around and waiting. Anybody's ever been in the military, oh, you sit around and wait. Why? Because there's so many different rules to make sure you don't break one rule, you end up wasting all the time in the world. Because there's law upon law upon law upon law upon law. And back then with 600 some laws that you could sin, there was law upon law upon law and it was guilty. And you just sense this, this condemnation, these, all these rules and regulations, how do I follow them? So God gave the law. They made more laws not to break the law. They'd end up walking past someone in need. Think of the story of the good Samaritan. They walked right past someone in need. But now we have the law that gives freedom. The law that gives freedom. We're not under this rule after rule, but it doesn't take away what we're supposed to do. It doesn't take away the importance of following God. Now you find that you have the freedom, because how, how do you create a law about loving people? Do you know you're free to love people all the time, not just on Sundays? Yeah, it's not the law that condemns. It's the law that gives you freedom. So now think about prayer. Think about fasting. Think about giving. You don't have laws to do them. You are free to do them when? All the time. You're like, no, no, I like the law better. I just had to do it like one day a week. I know. No, no, no. Now you're free to do them all the time. You can pray all the time. You can fast. You can be as generous as you can imagine. Now think about this. It doesn't mean that you're free to do whatever you want. It means you're free to practice and live for God all the time. Look at how Paul puts it in Galatians. He says this. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, we are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That means do not use your freedom to then go on sinning and ignore God. You ever done that before? Yeah, of course. He says, don't do that. He says, but rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Look how Peter talks about it. He says this, 1 Peter 2.16. He says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Right? Don't say, well, I'm free. That means I won't ever do it. He's like, no, 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 you're missing the point. He says, live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. We are now free to serve. We are now free to love. The pressure and the condemnation we would face from trying to keep all the laws is unbearable. But now we are free to do it even more. Now the bad thing about this is, is if you are more free, is that more accountability or less? Well, think of it this way. I have little children at home. My, old, my oldest turns 10 this week, right? Pretty exciting. He turns 10 years old. I'm trying to think about how tall he is. He's somewhere in between here, okay? He's about 10 years old. Now, he has 
some freedom, but not that much. He's under my, my thumb pretty good. He's 10. When you give your teenager the keys to the car and you give them more freedom, is that more accountability or less? More. My son only has so much, but the more freedom someone has, the more they're going to be accountable, the more they have to be responsible. So we have to understand this pretty big deal. You are now free. Does that mean more responsibility and accountability or less? More. So take your freedom serious. Take your freedom serious. James says in verse 13, he says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He says, if you don't want to show grace, you will experience a graceless judgment from the Lord. The tables will be turned. If you want to be an evil judge, the Lord, you will stand before him and he will judge you without any, any grace at all. But imagine, rather, than worrying about how, I mean, that makes us all kind of nervous, doesn't it? Makes us all take the seriousness of, of how James is saying we need to treat other people. Imagine if everybody we came in encounter with or everybody that came into this church, imagine if we just saw Jesus walking with them and saying, here, I brought my friend today. Jesus brought one of his friends to you. Would you care what they wore? Would you care what they dressed? Would you care what their job was? Absolutely not. Just think about that. Now, the thoughts behind this, that's the verses we're going to look at. I got from this commentator, it came four, four like deeper thoughts. I thought they were really helpful for us. Some, some, um, some things that will help us think through why favoritism is wrong, the, the pressures, the issues that we're really dealing with here. He says this. The first one, we'll call it deeper discoveries. He says, the first one is this. When you are impartial, you show a deep trust for God. We believe that he's the one in control of our future. If you show favoritism, why do you do it? It's because you want something from them. You think they can get you that job, they can get you that promotion, they're going to sign that, they're going to do this. But rather, instead of treating people special because of their job or because of their dress, we trust in Jesus Christ. We trust that he's going to take us where we need to go. He's going to open the doors we need open. And we don't need to treat people special and treat other people's bad. See, that's the idea. We treat some good and others bad. We're treating the good ones and then the poor people. Why not just love them both equally? Why not just treat everybody with the same dignity and respect? They all deserve it. They're all made in the image of God. So we treat the president and the homeless man the same if they walked in the door. Would we do that? Some of us are like, well, this current administration or the last current administration, I absolutely would have. Okay, that's not the point. You missed it. They all deserve dignity. Everybody deserves respect. Number two, we often judge incorrectly. How many times have you been wrong about somebody? Yeah? You ever been wrong? Of course we have. Our judgment could be off. I remember... Uh, for instance, sitting in a, in a deacon's meeting, it was here, it's not that big of a deal, but we were talking about whatever, and one of the deacons gave their opinion. And they gave their opinion, they say, well, I've seen this at my brother's church, and everybody just kept carrying on, and I just assumed, okay, well, they know something I don't know. So I, I did some deeper discoveries, and I asked this deacon about their brother. I said, oh, your brother's in ministry, and I found out some great things about their brother. In fact, their brother helped me tremendously, um, has a pretty large church, started it, and very healthy church, and so... It's one of the largest in South Carolina. And it was really helpful. I just figured everybody else knew about it. Well, at the next deacon's meeting, we are talking about membership issues and something else. And someone brought up, well, we have too many on our roll. And then this person spoke up about, Here, here's what my brother's church did. 
Everybody just kind of dismissed it and just said, well, we have too many people in a row. And I immediately went, hold on, wait. They don't know. They've judged incorrectly. Immediately stopped the meeting. I said, folks, I said, his brother's church is 50 times larger than ours. It's a big church, isn't it? They have more people on staff than we have in worship. I'm not joking. So to dismiss those ideas... You're judging incorrectly. Let's pause and let's listen. See, if we're not proactive, all of us can dismiss people that the Lord has brought into our community to help us, to guide us, to speak into situations. And James tells us that often the poor are rich in faith. They're rich in faith. If we based on judge um, outward appearance, if we based on clothes, we'll miss the spiritual significance or knowledge that someone can bring to our meetings. For clarity, we don't show favoritism for last names or for money or prestige or titles. We just shouldn't be about that. Number three, you love impartially because you submit to the scriptures and the teachings of Christ. It's in these small things that we submit. It's in these small things that we think aren't a big deal. But it's in these things we submit and say, well, Lord, you know better than I do. You're God, I'm not. I submit to you in this teaching. We know that he'll do something with that. For instance, if we show favoritism, let's say we don't show favoritism, and we help those, those people who may have a harder time, who may be a little bit more poor, how much of an impact can you have on that family? Have you ever thought about being able to change generations of because you're kind to one person? Because of the people who invested in me when I was somebody who shouldn't have been invested in? By all regular, didn't dress well enough, didn't, wasn't smart enough, didn't have that kitchen, didn't come from the right families. By those mentors who invested in me, changed generations. Praise God. Sucking up to another rich person? Do they need that? I mean, do, do, does a rich person need somebody else sucking up to them? But does that poor person need somebody investing in them? Absolutely. Such a larger impact. And when we realize that, we say, okay, Christ. I'm going to submit to these teachings and watch what he does with these seemingly small things. Watch how he multiplies it larger than you could ever imagine. And then lastly, it shows your dependence upon his grace. When we realize that we're going to stand before him and James warns us, look, if you are graceless, if you don't show mercy, he won't show it to you. We all go, well, how gracious can I be today then? How much mercy can I show today if that's how he's going to use this or hold me accountable. You see, their father is God. Treat them with dignity and respect that you would treat to any of God's kids, any human being. Because you know this to be true. If you want to win me over as a human being, how do you do it? Love on my kids. You love and you take care of my kids, you have won me over. Isn't that true, parents? Not about you, but your kids. Someone spoils your kids, you're like, oh yeah, they're good. Remember, we are God's children. Remember, we are his kids. So I imagine that's why this favoritism and showing love to people is important to him because it's important to us. We get that from him. So when we disrespect or we dishonor, we push that people in the corner, we think those things about them, that's God's child. James calls us, you and me, us, to be a compassionate community. Compassionate, a compassionate community of Jesus followers. And in order to do that, we have to be absolutely impartial. We're to be a community consumed with giving God the glory. 
consumed with giving Jesus all that glory, praise, and honor, understanding he will open the doors, he will close the doors, he will take care of us. And then we welcome all people into our gatherings from all different backgrounds. Next time you see someone walking into the church, I just want you to think about that. Use your imagination. What age do we lose our imagination? It's about when we become grouchy. What is that, about 17, 18, 16, life hits us? Yeah, let's open that imagination up, right? Imagine every person walking in the door, we go, Jesus is walking with them going, hey, I brought a friend. See how you treat that person. So what's James's point? What's the point today? Don't show favoritism. Believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, that means we give him all the glory and honor. Don't show favoritism. We speak and act as someone who's going to be accountable for what we speak and act. We're going to stand before him in mercy triumphs over judgment, he says. We're to be called a community for the passion. That means for the last, the least, and lost. We open them up. And I am proud to say that, honestly, as a church, I think we're doing pretty good there. We could do better. We all can. But I think as a community of people, I I really do believe we welcome people from all backgrounds, all education, all last names. I mean, you hired me, so I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you just accept anybody. It's just how it works. Some of you are like, I know. I know you do. I think we're pretty, we're pretty gracious here, but we can be better. Continue to show love and to show God's grace to all people and anybody who walks in these doors. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we believe in you. We are so thankful that you've chosen us to be a part of your kingdom community. We're so thankful for the compassion and grace you've shown us. Father, we readily admit that we're sinners in need of your mercy. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for the favoritism and discrimination that we're all prone to show. Father, help us see people the way you see them. Help us be a part of a compassionate community, ready to show your grace and love. And help us live out the gospel and show us how to use our freedom to bring you glory and all that we do. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.